morning, church. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, please. Uh, if you're visiting today, my name's Mark, and I'm one of the minister, ministers here uh, at the church, and we're glad that you're with us here at Christ Church this morning. And uh, we are finishing up, as Isaac said a little bit earlier, we're finishing up our series called Enough. Isaac said these are some of the two favorite weeks because the Winter Olympics for him. These are easily the two most favorite weeks of a year for me because the Cubs are still in first place. And, uh, and you can't say anything for two weeks, so just mind your business. Uh, we have been reviewing what Paul wrote to the people of Colossae, a letter of encouragement, a letter of hope, uh, challenging them to remember what they signed up for, what it means to follow Jesus and all the gifts that we receive from him. And we talked about the identity that we have. It's either in Christ or it's not. There's no in-between. And Cody talked about how the image of Jesus shows us who we are in the eyes of God, and that's very important for us. In week three, we talked about adding anything to Jesus for your satisfaction is idolatry. And God doesn't mess with idols, and he doesn't respect idols. And so if we try to add anything to Jesus but just opening ourselves up to him, we open ourselves up to abject failure and disappointment. And in week four and five, we talked about what we put on and what we put off, and these prayers that fly above us were some of the things that we wanted to surrender and, and rid ourselves from. And as Isaac said earlier, as well, this gives us an opportunity uh, to see that God is able and capable of taking from us the things we don't desire and to give us what we do. Uh, I love word pictures. I love when you can contrast and compare two things. Uh, when the contrast is so obvious that the comparison's not seen, and then you draw them together and people go, oh, it is like that. That's a powerful teaching device, and I just love the creativity of words. Uh, some make us cringe because they're so effective and real, and others make us blush because they're very romantic and sentimental. Uh, the following word pictures were uh, shared by a school teacher who asked her students to draw some powerful comparisons. Here's some of my favorites. The little boat gently drifted across the pond exactly the way a bowling ball wouldn't. That's very well done. From the attic came an unearthly howl. The whole scene had an eerie, surreal quality, like when you're on vacation in another city and Jeopardy comes on at 7 instead of 7.30. I love this one by a fourth grader. Her eyes were like two brown circles with big black dots in the center. Deep. The politician was gone but unnoticed, like the period after the doctor on a Dr. Pepper can. I like this one. John, had, John and Mary had never met. They were like two hummingbirds who had also never met. <laughs> then my favorite of all, her date was pleasant enough, but she knew that if her life was a movie, this guy would be buried in the credits as something like second tall man. <laughs> yes, some of you women could write like that, I know. My favorite, Steve Martin's one of my favorite comedians. I, nobody laughed first hour, but this is for me. He said, some people have a way with words and other people not have way. Words matter. Words change our, our thoughts and our philosophies. Words express feelings and emotions that are hard to put in to concepts, so we compare them to things. A judge says a few words, and it's the difference between freedom and prison. A doctor says a few words, and it's the difference between a diagnosis of healing and a diagnosis of death. A parent says... A certain word at a certain time to a child in a certain moment, and it either builds up their heart or crushes their spirit. We all know that words truly matter. James 
the half-brother of Jesus, in his book in the New Testament, James, he compares our words, our tongue, to a bridle, a rudder, a fire, a serpent, a fruitful tree, and a fountain. What he does in that imagery is he said, our words either direct, destroy, or delight. Words matter. You may say, well, that's what I said, but that's not what I meant, but words matter. Choosing the right word. The proverb says it's like a uh, apple of, of silver in a setting of gold. The right word at the right moment makes all the difference. Paul has talked to us about our character and he's talked to us about our conduct. And today he's going to talk to us about our conversations. And I'd like to show you in the fourth chapter of Colossians what he does with these particular uh, concepts. Let's deal with the first one, our words with God. Now, I, I want to be really careful that we're going to talk about prayer here. Prayer is one of those concepts. It's like financial giving, evangelism, and prayer are three topics that most people don't want to hear in church because they feel guilty. It makes them say to themselves, I'm not doing enough. And I want to be really careful that when we talk about our words with God, it's not about quantity. It's about the reason why and the hope you have. What Paul's relating to us is there's power in our words, especially our words with God. Verses 2 through 4 of chapter 4. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. There's four things about prayer here that I want to encourage you with. I want you to to be able to see that there's opportunities in front of us if we pray. Now, now here's what we're not going to talk about today. We're not going to talk about the when you pray or how much you pray, but really the why, the hope. If Jesus is enough, then when, because he prayed in his relationship with God, he's encouraging us, Paul says, that we invest ourselves in that as well. If you just look at what Paul does here in verses uh, two, primarily, he says, devote yourself to prayer because our prayer words reveal our commitment. It's the word be faithful or devoted. Uh, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but if you, you were blessed enough to go to church, I often heard this by youth sponsors and Sunday school teachers, did you have your daily devotion this week? That was, seemed like a really weird word, devotion. But the word devote means to give yourself to it, to not quit. It's something that you place as a priority. And he says, Paul says here, that devote yourselves to prayer. Now, most of us have meager prayer lives, and I think we would admit that. And it's not because we don't love Jesus, it's just we don't dig prayer. We feel like all we're doing is, if you're anything like me, and I've shared this before, I have to pray out loud, because if I don't pray out loud, my mind wanders, and halfway through the prayer, I'm doing something else. So I have to discipline myself, and it's embarrassing, but I will go in my office in the morning, and I will lock my door, and I will just talk out loud. A lot of times I pray in the car. People think I'm singing. I'm not. I'm praying. I have to speak the words. And I find myself saying things to God that open me up. It's a devotion. It's setting as a priority in my life to be able to do this. I like to pray for you. I like to pray for my family. I like to pray for my fears. And I like to pray for my passions. And I have to devote myself to that. But it's not easy. When I look around, what have you become good at in life that was ever easy the first time you did it? Most of us quit immediately. I look at the musicians and singers on this stage each and every week. We're spoiled rotten. And I look at the talent on this stage. There's not a guitar player up here who learned to play the guitar the first time they picked it up and strummed. 
I'm amazed by the drummers. I can't tie my shoes and look forward. I can't imagine how he can make his left foot do different than his right foot while his right arm's doing something different than his left arm, and he sings. That's ridiculous. I, I hate him. No, I really, I'm just jealous. Because I can't do any of that. But I look, and I'm sure every drummer, every guitar player, every piano player, everyone who's on this stage, they didn't quit the first time they tried. They wanted it bad enough, they devoted themselves to it. And by devoting themselves to it, they learned habits, attitudes, and actions that supported it. Paul says, be devoted to prayer. Second thing he tells us is that our praying words reveal our expectations. Devote yourself to prayer being watchful. I don't know if you've picked this up as you read through your Bible, but the terms watch and pray are synonymous throughout Scripture, all the way back in the Old Testament. It says that Nehemiah, when he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, if you remember the story, they'd been taken captivity for 70 years, punished by God because they went to idols. And when he had cleansed them, that generation, he allowed them to come back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah led the charge. But Nehemiah tells us in the fourth chapter uh, that while they prayed, they watched for the enemy's advances. Watch and pray are synonymous concepts in Scripture. Now, I know this, and I joke about it, but I think, it's, I, think I can prove it. I grew up in a church where you bowed your head, closed your eyes, and folded your hands. And yet, I have a hard time finding that anywhere in Scripture. I think the reason we did it was because some junior church mom figured out if we don't close our eyes and fold our hands, we're going to punch each other when she's not looking. So we created this rule to keep kids from whacking on each other. But the truth is, if you want to find the most common posture in the Bible, it's face toward heaven, arms outstretched. We offer him nothing and receive everything. It says to be watchful. So when you pray, you're watching for what God's doing and you're watching for what the enemy's doing. Prayer is a part of our strategy. It's a part of our expectations. I read this week in Psalm 141, In verse 2, if there's no fire on the altar, the incense will not rise. If there's no expectancy in our prayers, if we don't believe God's alive and well, we won't pray. So we don't expect anything to happen. And some of us pray over our food, but our prayers have become so memorized and rote that we're not really thanking God that we have food. We're just doing something that sounds really religious. Not to make you feel guilty, but awaken it. Pray with power. Pray with expectancy. Thirdly, our praying words reveal our gratitude for grace. I find this fascinating that Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And I want to remind you, where was Paul when he wrote this? All the way back to week one, he was in jail. And here's a man who six times in his letter to the church of Colossae reminds them, be grateful. God is alive and well and Jesus is enough. And you can be a person full of gratitude. The way we pray reveals our gratitude. It's not just the, it's not something we do when we pray. Gratitude is what keeps us praying. Gratitude when we see God moving gives us the motivation to wake up today and not ask for another single thing. I've often had this phrase bounce around my head for years. If God never did another good thing for me, he's done enough. I can be grateful even when I don't have everything I think I need. And our praying words reveal our partnership in the kingdom. It reveals our partnership in the kingdom. Verse 3, he says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. I don't know about you, but if I'm Paul and I'm in prison, I would ask you to pray that the doors of the prison open, not the doors of the gospel. But Paul's a much more trusting man than I am. And his prayer is that God would open opportunities for the message of Christ 
to go forward even when Paul can't. It's powerful. You see, and I, I hope you take this the way I mean it, but you have a bigger role to play in the kingdom than cash in the offering plates and a behind in the pew. God's got a place for us. And if you sit here today going, I don't know how I partner in all this, you partner in it with prayer primarily. When Jesus wanted to do anything amazing, you'll notice that he always went away to be with God to spend a night in conversation with his father. It was part of his partnership in the kingdom. It's been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done here on uh, earth, but it's to get God's will done here on earth. Uh, We think about that. We pray expecting that God's going to do something amazing. You see, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's partnering in his willingness. And so when we look back on this, it's amazing to think what Paul is offering us. He said that you can demonstrate your commitment, devotion, setting a time every day. And here's the beautiful part. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it has to be the same time every day. In fact, I'll challenge some of you, experiment with the best times of your day. I, I just did this with a group of students at Ozark. I just challenged them. I said, you know the routines of your life. You know when you're at your best. So why not give God a, a section of that best part of your day? Some of you are not morning people, so to get up early in the morning and talk to God, you'll be grouchy. Don't. Wait till you're happy. Some of you say, well, I have a drive time and there's nothing on the radio. Turn the radio off and have a conversation with God. God will receive from you what you offer him if it's offered with a clear heart. So devote yourself. Have some expectations. Be thankful and partner in the kingdom. Paul says, pray that the work may go forward and be done well. And please remember that prayer and Bible study are crucial. In the book of Acts, they never separated those two. When the apostles were being burdened because the church had exploded in size and there were so many people who had needs, you remember in Acts chapter 6, the apostles got together a group of people and they said, we're going to have you minister to the widows, we're going to have you feed the poor, we're going to have you hand out money, we're going to have you do this so we can devote ourselves to the reading of God's word and prayer. They didn't separate those two. Part of being watchful is praying that God will open the scriptures up and reveal them to us. So that's our words with God, the privacy of our prayer life. Paul says there's power available to us, so devote yourself to it. Secondly is our words with friends, which is a game I wasn't very good at, but I'll be better at this one. Words with friends. Our words matter. And Paul tells us what it is in verses 5 and 6. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Jesus designated between those that believed in him and those that did not. Now, he didn't say one was superior to the other, but he cautioned us about the differences between those that are open to God and know Jesus is enough and those who haven't discovered that yet. And he tells us that we have a role in this, that there's power available to us if we will simply engage others with words, because words matter. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus said these words. The secret of the kingdom has been given to you, but those on the outside, everything is said in parables. He was explaining to his disciples that I can't speak clearly because their hearts are hardened. So what I'm going to do is soften them with stories that make sense. That's where I began this morning. A comparison of two things that don't seem to work together, but one helps explain the other. And Jesus said, I'm going to speak in parables. And I'll be honest with you, growing up in the church, I'm grateful for the parables because whenever I wonder what Jesus means, I often relate it back to real-life stories that he told that everyone could relate to. Helps me understand it. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now, many people think, well, God, why can't you just open this up and have it make sense to me? There's many times I'll hear a teacher of scripture and I'll think, I never would have seen that. How did they get that? And I become jealous inside. Like, man, I wish I could see what that guy sees. Paul warns us that it's not God keeping it from us. It's the God of this world blinding us to truth. Because we're trying to get God's truth to fit into what we think is true instead of trusting that God knows the truth and we don't. It's not being blinded anymore, but it's opening our eyes and opening our hearts and asking God to move in us. Why? So that we have something to offer other people. Paul tells us here to be responsible to act wisely. And I could launch on this, but that clock tells me I can't, so I'm going to be quick. I think one of the common mistakes made in the American church that I've been involved in in my lifetime are the number of us who think that as long as you live a good moral life, people will understand their need for Jesus. That's not true. In fact, that's anti-biblical. That's a very selfish motivation I have to simply say, well, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to act the right way and maybe one day somebody may ask what that's all about. And I hear it commonly. Well, I don't, I don't like to preach about the... Well, listen, nobody likes preaching. Trust me, I know. So I'm not asking you to go out and give a three-point illustrated example of Jesus. What I'm simply telling you is the way you live your life on the golf course, in the classroom, the way you drive, how you treat people in public settings, how you deal business with one another, that is the greatest sermon most of us will ever preach. But it in itself is not enough. Yet, if the sermon we preach with our lives isn't the same that's coming out of our mouth, our words won't matter. That's what Paul says. We have to act wisely. He says we need to be holy. Remember, holy doesn't mean perfect. Holy means set apart for something greater. It's, it's held out for a higher calling and purpose. And we can be holy because God is holy and he can bring us there. But our actions make a difference. He says to the people in Ephesus, he says, redeem these days. Turn them into something of greater value. Take the time that you've been given and use it. Now, many of us freak out in this moment. Oh, you're going to ask me to go out and walk up to a stranger and try to get him to come to church? Absolutely, I will never ask that of you. Because I believe it does no good to invite someone to church if you haven't introduced them to Jesus. Because the church is a weird place if they don't understand Jesus. Think about it. What other group in the entire world gets together and sings for 30 minutes? Nobody else does. Does your family get together on Thanksgiving? All the food's on the table and dad says, let's join in four songs. Absolutely not. I wouldn't go to that Thanksgiving dinner. But you come into church and people who are trying to figure this all out, they come in and we sing and we got lights and they're like, oh my gosh, this is like Branson. No, it's not. It's better. (laughs) It's better because we're not singing to one another. It's not a talent show. It's all about Jesus. And we encourage one another to walk by faith. Amen? Are you with me? And so the point of what I'm saying to you is offer them Jesus and you offer them why you love Jesus not why they ought to. But that happens when you and I live our lives in such a way where your friends look at you and go, hey, you used to, you used to do that. How come you don't do that anymore? Uh, I chose not to do that because that's not good for me and it's not good for my family and it's really not good for anybody. So I want to be a better person. And then don't be surprised when they say, why? 
And all you have to do is be one satisfied customer offering a great product to somebody else. But you've got to act wisely. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So yeah, it does matter how we live. It does matter that we know what the word of God says and we choose to put off the old and put on the new. In Luke 16, Jesus said, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. What he's saying is the world knows how to impress one another. Why don't we live to impress people with what matters most? And then he tells us that we must take care that our speech is full of grace. In verse 6, he shares with us that it matters what words we say. Let your conversations be full of grace. See, he's not telling us to win a debate. He's not telling us to sell the advantages of our church over another church. He's not telling us to go out and prove that, that religion fixes all of your problems. He said, no, introduce them to Jesus. Share the need for Christ and what he's done in your life. And when you offer grace instead of being right, when we offer hope instead of knowledge, just knowledge, Paul says the Holy Spirit can work. Listen to what was said about Jesus in Luke 4.22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. You know, I, I hope this, I'm going to say it. In my, I, always, I normally have the standard that says, when in doubt, don't. Today, I'm not going to do that. Jesus wasn't a jerk. He wasn't a know-it-all. He wasn't pompous and pious. He never would have put a snarky bumper sticker on, on his camel so that everybody would realize how smart he was. And Christianity today is kind of embarrassing at times by the way we want to be right instead of righteous. Paul says, no, live your life to honor Jesus and let your words bring glory to Jesus and the Holy Spirit will do all the rest of the work. Words matter. There's power in what we say. And Jesus, when he spoke, spoke graciously. Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, speaking the truth with love. It's very interesting that you can be right and righteous. And if you do it for Christ's glory, it all works. And then Paul says, and season it with salt. There's two things that salt does. It preserves and it adds flavor, which is interesting. It also comes from the concept, I believe Paul's alluding to the Old Testament law in Leviticus 2. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. I I tend to believe that Paul is addressing this concept with the people of Colossae. He said, you know that in all of your offerings that you would bring to to be burned before the Lord, that you would salt them, to preserve them and, and season them. And he said, and let your language be salty. Now, I don't know that anybody says this today anymore, but they did on Little House on the Prairie, so I know it was said once. And they used to say, salt of the earth. What did that mean? He's a real person. He, was, he wasn't a person who lived up in the ethereal, who was always talking in King James and quoting real flowery poetry. This was an everyday person who was convinced that Jesus Christ is real, who walked a, a person's walk, who lived an everyday life, who had to go to the market and do business, who had a home and had family and had things to deal with. It's not a person who escapes all of that, but it's a person who lives in the midst of it. The world is looking for real believers in Jesus who live everyday lives. And you and I have the power of words to offer them our hope. Not a hope that Jesus fixes everything, but a hope that he will set all things in order in perfect time, and it'll be a blessing. So Paul says, season 
your language with salt, with love, with truth. Live your life wisely. Speak to the Father. Take advantage of the opportunity to open the doors of the gospel, to become real. What I think is fascinating to me is that Paul talks about the two extremes of life. He talks the private life of prayer, and he talks about the public life of conversations. He's not saying we're to be witty or great conversationalists. He's not saying have, have a script that you've written to go out. There's always these techniques about how to share Jesus. I love what Paul does in Colossians. He says, just live your life for Christ and speak of how you trust him, and the Holy Spirit will take every opportunity that you open yourself up to and put it to work. And I told you earlier that nowhere in the Bible is there any scripture that tells you to fold your hands, bow your head, and close your eyes. But I would ask you right now, just to take the distractions away all around you, if you're comfortable, just close your eyes, and I'd like to give you some things for you to pray about, to take advantage of the power of our words and the sincerity of our hearts. I'd like to give each one of us a moment to confess to God that prayer is hard, It's really inconvenient, but we believe he's right. Ask God to make prayer come alive to you. Ask God for a name or a face of somebody who will cross your path this week, who needs to know that you love them and that you love Jesus and that Jesus loves them. And they can love Jesus too. Ask God to open your heart and your mind that you can see what God is doing and you can see what the world's doing and through his power, you know how to live and how to rescue people from that life into new life. Thank God this morning that Jesus is all we need. Even in our imperfection, it's not about us. It's only about him. God, I thank you that we can talk to you. I pray that in this moment, as we are opening our hearts truthfully, some of us don't want to pray. God, I pray that you show them the value not to shame them, but to invite them into a greater life than they choose to live. I pray for those of us who have tried over and over and over to get excited about prayer, but it's just hard to, that God, you will meet us in our prayers, that you will enliven our hearts and give us hope. I pray for those who don't know who Jesus Christ is, that even today they would ask the question, as we celebrate lives that are turning themselves over to him, that freedom would break out in this place, Father. I, I pray that you just rock this room, that you change all of our lives for your glory and for our encouragement. And God, as we stand in these next few moments, I pray that if someone needs to be prayed with or encouraged, that they'll go to the tables, find a safe place there. But most of all, as we sing songs, God, these words matter. Let us testify amidst this room that Jesus Christ is all we need. And it's in his most holy name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.